John 19. Pilate then took Jesus and scourged him. And the soldiers twisted together a crown of thorns and put it on his head and put a purple robe on him. And they began to come up to him and say, Hail, King of the Jews, and to give him slaps in the face. Pilate came out again and said to them, Behold, I am bringing him out to you so that you may know that I find no guilt in him. Jesus then came out wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe. Pilate said to them, Behold the man. So when the chief priests and the officers saw him, they cried out saying, Crucify, crucify. Pilate said to them, Take him yourselves and crucify him, for I find no guilt in him. The Jews answered him, We have a law, and by that law he ought to die, because he made himself out to be the Son of God. Therefore, when Pilate heard this statement, he was even more afraid. And he entered into the praetorium again and said to Jesus, Where are you from? But Jesus gave him no answer. So Pilate said to him, You do not speak to me? Do you not know that I have authority to release you and I have authority to crucify you? Jesus answered, You would have no authority over me unless it had been given you from above. For this reason, he who delivered me to you has the greater sin. As a result of this, Pilate made efforts to release him. But the Jews cried out, saying, If you release this man, you are no friend of Caesar. Everyone who makes himself out to be a king opposes Caesar. Therefore, when Pilate heard these words, he brought Jesus out and sat down on the judgment seat at a place called the pavement, but in Hebrew, Gabbatha. Now it was the day of preparation for the Passover. It was about the sixth hour. And he said to the Jews, Behold your king. So they cried out, Away with him, away with him, crucify him. Pilate said to them, Shall I crucify your king? The chief priest answered, We have no king but Caesar. So he then handed him over to them to be crucified. How do you tell this story in a way that communicates the emotion, in, indeed the horror and the pathos of the event? I am completely unequal to the task. And while a full third of the gospel narratives cover the last week of Jesus' life, they actually focus more on the, on the confrontation and the, and the trials leading up to the crucifixion than than to the death itself. They, they speak of his death in rather brisk and austere terms. John, for example, simply says in verse 18, there they crucified him. No gruesome descriptions, no lengthy explanation of his agonizing physical suffering. So do I try to describe it to you now? The Roman statesman and philosopher Cicero, who lived just before Jesus, condemned crucifixion, saying it was, quote, a most cruel and disgusting punishment. To bind a Roman citizen is a crime, to flog him an abomination, to kill him, almost an act of murder, to crucify him is what? 
There, there is no fitting word that can possibly describe so horrible a deed. The very word cross should be far removed, not only from the person of a Roman citizen, but from his thoughts, his eyes, and his ears. Indeed, the mere mention of it is unworthy. And yet, we find ourselves followers of Christ, and the cross is central to our faith. It adorns our buildings, our, our, our cemeteries. We wear it as, as jewelry. Some make the sign of the cross. Uh, Paul said in Galatians, in contrast to Cicero, but may it never be that I would boast except in the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. It is True, the gospel writers scarcely mention it. You see, when they were writing, and John says they scourged him, most knew exactly what that looked like. When he says Jesus was mistreated by the Romans, it didn't take much imagination to see that. And when he says there they crucified him, many had seen roads lined with Roman crosses and understood the excruciating agony. Again, I am completely unequal to the task of even speaking of the death of Jesus. It is the event of all history. I tread this ground with great humility and reverence. After his betrayal in the garden by one of his own, Judas Iscariot, Jesus stood before Annas and Caiaphas the Jewish leaders, led by the high priest, then brought Jesus to the praetorium, the, the Roman governor's palace. There they demanded Jesus be crucified. After his first examination, Pilate, the governor, found no basis of a charge against him, so he, he attempted to get him released. To his great surprise, they demanded Barabbas, a notorious murdering insurrectionist, be released instead. Somewhere along the way, Luke tells us, Pilate discovered that Jesus was a Galilean. So he sent Jesus to Herod Antipas, under whose Roman jurisdiction Jesus came. Herod simply, simply mocked him and sent him back. Which brings us to the text that I just read. Please notice the emphasis on his innocence this outline will simply advance the story for us, starting with this innocent Jesus scourged. Reading between the lines, it, it seems Pilate is up to something. Luke tells us that he intended to have Jesus punished and then released. It seems he's trying to either gain the people's sympathy or demonstrate that Jesus is no threat to the Jews and certainly not to the powerful Roman Empire. Let's simply scourge him. Maybe this will satiate the bloodlust of the Jews. There were three kinds of scourging at this time. The first was for minor offenses given as a warning, quite painful, seldom deadly. Uh, the, the, the second was, for more serious offenses, was more severe and sometimes ending in death, although that was not its intent. The third was pre-crucifixion scourging. The victim would be stripped and, and tied to a post, the, the whip made of a short wooden handle with leather straps embedded with pieces of metal and bone. There was no limit to the number of lashes. It usually lasted until the commander called the soldiers off or until those same soldiers got tired. 
It so flayed the torso that often ribs and internal organs could be seen. The purpose of the beating was to weaken the victim for crucifixion, otherwise he might last for days. It was not uncommon for the victim to die during the scourging, which explains why Jesus was unable to carry his cross. John actually doesn't tell us which beating this was. But you see, if you compare this with the other Gospels, there seems to be a little difference. This this scourging was given before the sentence of crucifixion. The the, the synoptics, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, indicate there was another scourging, the worst, that that pre-crucifixion scourging, which took place after the sentence was passed. In other words, it seems that Jesus received two beatings. This one intended to demonstrate his weakness and elicit pity from the crowds, and that second one intended to weaken him for his impending death. Isaiah 53 says it this way, He was despised and forsaken of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief, and like one from whom men hide their face. He was despised, and we did not esteem him. Surely our griefs he himself bore, and our our sorrows he carried, yet, yet we ourselves esteemed him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. But he was pierced through for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The chastening of our well-being fell upon him, and by his scourging, we are healed. So John says they scourged him, but that wasn't enough. The soldiers, in shameful mockery, twisted together a crown of thorns likely made from the date palm with thorns up to a foot long, and they they placed it on his head. And now I want you to stop and think about that with me for a moment. Where did these thorns first come from? From the curse after the fall. That is, humanity's fall into sin. And here is Jesus wearing a crown of thorns as he is about to bear the, the sins of the world. It's quite the symbolism. Quite the coronation for this king of the Jews. They then put a purple robe on him. Most suggest a Roman soldier's crimson tunic, old and, and now faded to look purple. Luke tells us they gave him a reed as a mock scepter. They then came and, and knelt before him in jest, crying out, Hail, King of the Jews! They, they spit on him. They slapped him again and again. They, they took the scepter and they, 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 they beat him on the head and which bore that crown of thorns, all all in an attempt to ridicule and humiliate this king of the Jews. In typical John irony, the soldiers actually said more than they knew. He was indeed the, the, the king of the Jews. For you see, he was the king of kings. He was their king. Which brings us to that, that second point. This innocent Jesus presented to the, to the Jews. Pilate brings this beaten, swollen, bloody Jesus out to the crowds and once again declares him innocent. Behold, I am, I'm bringing him out to you so that you may know that I find no guilt in him. And Jesus came out wearing the mocking purple robe and crown of thorns, this king of the Jews. This time, Pilate said, behold the man. The wording is such that it could be rendered, behold this poor man. Behold this this poor 
creature. Again, Pilate's purpose seems to be to present Jesus in such a pitiful state that the crowd's bloodlust would be satiated. But when the chief priests and the officers saw Jesus, they began to cry out, crucify, crucify. And that's a proper translation. It would have become almost a one-word chant, crucify, crucify, crucify. Pilate's attempt to elicit pity only served to whet their appetites. So he says to them, perhaps in disgust, take him yourselves and crucify him, for I find no guilt in him. Now, now this is the third time that, that Pilate declares him innocent, meaning this was a shameful treatment of an innocent man. And, and we readers know not just any man, but the, the Son of Man, the Son of God, become flesh. Everyone knew that Jews could not crucify people. That was strictly the prerogative of the, of the Romans. You see, Pilate is here taunting them. Now, remember, to this point, the Jews had, had only charged Jesus with political sedition. He, he claims to be a king. That should be enough to warrant his execution. But, but Jesus had ably handled that accusation before Pilate. It is true, Pilate, I, I am a king, but my kingdom is not of this world. You need not worry about political sedition. My, my kingdom is a kingdom of, of truth to deliver people from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light, to which Pilate responds, what is truth. So unable to make the charge of sedition stick, the very frustrated Jews blurt out, we have a law, and, and by that law, Jesus ought to die because he made himself out to be the son of God. Finally, the, the, the truth comes out. The, the true charge is blasphemy. He claims to be the son of God. brings us to verses 8 to 11, where we see Jesus interrogated again. Upon hearing this new charge, Pilate was even, John tells us, more afraid. Remember, his wife Claudia had, had told him that she had had a dream about Jesus and warned Pilate not to have anything to do with this innocent man. There it is again. So, so Pilate becomes more afraid. He, had he just flogged a God come down to earth? Indeed. He brings Jesus back into the praetorium and asks him, where are you from? Now, you remember, he knew Jesus from, was from Galilee. That's why he sent him to, to Herod. When he says, where are you from? He's asking an altogether different question. He's asking, do you have some kind of divine association that I need to know about? We remember Jesus has already told him, my, my kingdom is not of this realm. You say correctly that I am a king. He had already told Pilate where he was from. Pilate was just not listening. So likely in an act of judgment, Jesus does not answer. He is silent in fulfillment of Isaiah 53 prophecy. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth like a lamb that is led to slaughter and like a sheep that is silent before his shears, so he did not open his mouth. 
This irritated this mighty Roman governor who then says to Jesus, what's wrong with you? You do not speak to me. Do you not know who I am? Don't you know that I have the authority to release you and I I have the authority to crucify you? Now I want you to fix that scene in your mind. This governor of Judea says to the king of kings, do you not know who I am? Do you not know the power I wield? To which Jesus responded in essence, do you not know who I am? You would have no authority over me at all unless it had been given you from above. You you remember when the Jews tried to stone Jesus, not once but, but twice, when they tried to throw him off a cliff, when they tried to seize him, they were unable to do so because it was not yet his time. If this was not yet his time, decided beforehand by God himself, Jesus would simply have walked away from Pilate. There was nothing that puny potentate could do. You remember the hours just before this, the, 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 the evening before when the soldiers came with clubs and torches to arrest Jesus in the garden. You remember what happens. Jesus asked them, well, who, who is it that you want? And they respond, Jesus of Nazareth, to which Jesus responded, I am. I, I am. I am the I am. I want to make sure that you understand who you are dealing with here. And they draw back and fall on their faces. Pilate, do you not know who I am? You would have no power over me at all if I did not permit it. It's about this point that Peter takes out that kitchen knife and in a mighty flourish chops off the ear of the servant of the high priest. We find out his name is Malchus and Jesus heals him and says, Peter, put the knife away. Those who live by the sword die by the sword. Don't you know? that I could right now call to my Father who would send 12 legions of angels. A legion, by the way, is about 6,400 soldiers. Do you not know that I could right now call for my Father and He would send 72,000 angels? Read the book of Revelation see what one angel can do. Do you not think that the very host of heaven was poised, ready to come and rescue their King? You would have no power over me at all if I did not permit it. For this reason, he who delivered me to you has the greater sin. This is likely a reference to Caiaphas. And Jesus may be saying, it's okay, Pilate. Do what has been ordained to be done. You're not, as in, much, you're not as in much trouble as the high priest who should have known better. But please know, Pilate was still guilty. Greater sin, you see. He was still guilty for his sinful act of putting to death what he knew to be an innocent man. We're looking at the crucifixion this evening, and so there's not a lot of personal application, but let me make a couple of points now. First, I want to remind us that we are all guilty. We are all guilty of nailing Jesus to the cross. Whether present or not, it was our sin which caused his death. He bore our sins in his body on the cross. We are all guilty. And so second, as such, we will all give an account. Like Caiaphas, like Pilate, we will give an account for our sin And the only way to escape just, just condemnation for our sin 
is through faith in Jesus Christ. John tells us this is the very reason that he wrote this, his gospel, so that by believing that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, who died for our sins, we can have life in his name. Believing and receiving him as Savior, repenting from your sins, those sins making you culpable, responsible for nailing him to the cross. Believing and receiving him will bring redemption, the forgiveness of those sins, and eternal life. These were Jesus' last words to Pilate, which brings us to the next point. Innocent Jesus presented to the Jews again. Having heard all of this, Pilate makes one final effort to have Jesus released. And and so 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 the Jews played their trump card. If you release this man, you are no friend of Caesar. Everyone who makes himself out to be a king opposes Caesar. This was an appeal to, an overt appeal to Pilate's rather ignominious record quite blemished. The emperor Tiberius in Rome was known to be a suspicious and paranoid ruler, and he had had many suspected of treason removed from their posts and executed. Therefore, John says, when Pilate heard this not-so-veiled threat, he brought Jesus out. He sat down on the judgment seat, meaning that he was now ready to make an official pronouncement. There is irony here John in this gospel has made clear that Jesus will one day be the judge of all the earth. And here is Pilate, puny Pilate, sitting down on the Bema. That is the judgment seat, passing judgment on innocent Jesus. There will come a day when the positions will be reversed. John adds the additional detail that it was the day of preparation for the Passover, meaning that the Passover lambs were being sacrificed at the temple and their blood ran red down the Kidron Valley to the river beneath, turning it red. It's the time of preparation for the Passover, and at this time, the true Passover lamb who would would take away the sins of the world was being handed over for crucifixion, and his blood would run red. Pilate, perhaps in disgust, says, Behold your king. And the people cry out, Away with him. Crucify him. Their bloodlust will not be satisfied until Jesus is hanging from a cross. In one final attempt, Pilate says, Shall I crucify your king? And incredibly, the chief priest who resented Roman rule, who despised the so-called divine emperor, said, We have no king but Caesar. They were calling for Jesus' death because of his so-called blasphemy, and yet here they blaspheme, saying, we have no king but Caesar. Because he came to his own, and his own did not receive him. And so finally, Pilate handed Jesus over to be crucified. God made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. God, uh, Christ, redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us, for it is written, Cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree.
My simple purpose tonight is for you to remember. To remember the price that was paid for your redemption. To remember that a very innocent son of man and son of God hung on a cross for us. And the invitation is also for those who have not yet believed. To believe. To to receive the, the free gift of eternal life through faith in this innocent, crucified Son of God. Pray with me. Father, this is, in, this is indeed a, a story that, that never grows old. It, it is life itself. It is the apex of all history. Everything that history before pointed to and everything since points back. And so we gather in this room tonight, most of us, I suspect, followers of Jesus to remember And my deep passion for us tonight is to remember the price that was paid for our salvation. The very broken body and the the shed blood of, of the Lamb of God bearing our sins in His body on the cross. So that through simple faith in Him, who He is and what He did, we could be saved. We could be forgiven. We could actually become children of God. So we thank you. Words fail us on this particular day, this good Friday, to express how much we love you and how thankful we are. In Christ's name, amen.